Hello and welcome back to Bombato, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast. And it will be the last Bombato of 2019 before we enter 2020, which is kind of terrifying. But hey, uh, I am joined as always by Alexander Jonsson. How are you? I am great. Although just before this specific episode, I decided to leave Spain to go to a colder place. So I'm in the place where one of the people we're going to talk about is from. And you're in the place where the other one yeah it's, it's a a nice coincidence actually and i was thinking about well so before we we reveal the details we figured we would do something special for our final episode of the year and also because it kind of works out quite nicely with the timing because the two players in question that we're going to talk about their both of their careers are now brought to a close within well the last one of them was within recent weeks but so today we're going to talk about, as far as I can see, I did my research and I'm pretty sure this is the only time that two Swedish players played together for the same team in La Liga, at least in modern La Liga. I, I think I think at all. I think I yeah. I did a few years ago, I did where I went through every single Swedish played in La Liga because I wanted to do a picture with all of them. Yep. Uh, and I can't, so I, I kind of have a home of all the players, Swedish players who played in La Liga and I can't find anyone in my brain who's been at the same club at the same time. Uh, unless, except for these two. Yeah, and actually we'll come back to this at the end of the podcast, but it's even more Swedish than that, that season in La Liga, because I did a little bit more digging and technically there's a little bit of overlapping and I'll, I'll elaborate later <laughs> at the end, but it's a big season for Swedes in Spanish football and in, in particular for Swedish attackers in Spanish football. So anyway, we'll put you out your misery because you're all wondering what the hell are they talking about they're being so vague. We're going to talk about the brief but brilliant and not in the least bit controversial period when Kennedy Bakircioglu and Marcus Rosenberg both played in the north of Spain at the once great Racing Santander fallen giant. I'm feeling quite nostalgic and a little bit sad about Racing actually thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, me too. And also what's a little bit of coincidence when it comes to these two, these two Swedes playing in the same team in Spain is that these are Two Swedes, I think that more than most have in Sweden got an iconic, really, really iconic status at their respective, uh, respective clubs. There's very few players in history who's become that significant for their club in Sweden as both of these two have. And to make it even more coincidence, one of those teams is your Swedish team and one of the Swedish teams is my Swedish team. So this is two players that we, we care about quite a lot. Yeah, I, th I was thinking about this. I think you could reasonably argue that these are the two most important players to the Allsvenskan in the last, let's say, 20 years. If you're, if you're thinking about players who, who their impact, what they've done for Allsvenskan, uh, when, it, when it comes to Kennedy, both at the start of his career and maybe later, but with Rosenberg more so later mm -hmm. as well, because he really elevates the league. But in terms of the overall contribution and, and how they've helped to raise the level of the, the league to where the, the Swedish league is now, I think these guys, like, you can't tell the story of modern Alsvenskan without them. So they're absolutely huge. Not just iconic for their clubs, but also play a big part in, in making the league a better place, I think. And I think also for everyone who listens to this, even if you are not someone who follows the Swedish league closely, uh, we want to, to kind of give you all the backstory. So when we later talk about their time at, at Racing Santander, you will understand more where we're coming from and why this is important for the later parts or that part of their career. So because of that, we have split this in two because I'm giving Lee the opportunity to talk about his guy, which is Kennedy, just so I can talk a lot about my guy, <laughs> which is Marcus Rosenberg. But if, if you start off and, and give us a little bit of, of background to, to Kennedy and Hammarby and, and yep. Kennedy in general. 
Yeah, so I think there's there's another interesting overlap here in that both of these guys are supreme talents, but they're also supreme talents whose careers have not always been super easy because when they've gone abroad, things have either gone better or worse, depending on where they were. So with that in mind, when, when Kennedy joined Racing from Ajax in 2010, it was at the end of a particularly low point for him in football. Where he'd played, I think it was three seasons he was there. Um, they'd signed him after he'd done really, really well at Twente, actually, in the Netherlands. He scored a lot of goals and provided a lot of assists there. But almost from the moment he got to Ajax, he had problems with coaches, people that didn't really get on with him. He felt like he was working hard, but he wasn't playing. And it was really, really frustrating for him. Um, he'd also spent some time in Greece, which for other reasons was a little bit difficult. I think he enjoyed playing there, but money-wise, there were some problems, which we'll come back to later. It's a recurring theme when it comes to these two guys, um, in particular relation to their time at Spain. But the, the club that Kennedy's most closely associated with, which anyone in Sweden will know, is Hammarby, where he was key and won their only league title to date in 2001, uh, scoring a lot of goals and a lot of assists and playing, I think, every game that season. Uh, and that's that's a club who he already at that stage, even though he didn't come through their academy, unlike Rosenberg, who we'll talk about later, he was very closely associated with them by the time he left. And he'd always said that he would come back to Hammarby later in his career. And so that proved to be, uh, I'll explain that when we talk about how he ends up leaving Rassin. But the, the, the key point here is, huge player already in Sweden, goes and plays at a high level in the Netherlands, but then has to try and revive his career. And the opportunity he gets to revive his career is going to this club in Spain, Rassin, who by this point were a really well-established La Liga force. They've been playing regularly in La Liga by, for around about 20 years at that point, I think, since about the early 90s. So it's a really good opportunity for him. But also, interestingly, the fans there were not sure what to make of him as a guy that's not played that much football. They don't have any idea, really, what Swedish football is about. And even the Eredivisie, I mean, in those days, in the, the sort of early 2010 time, people didn't have access to all the football across the continent the way they did now. So he's a little bit of an unknown quantity and expectations on him were actually, I think it's probably fair to say, a little bit lower than the expectations of the man you're going to talk about. Yeah, so I'm going... The, the problem with Marcus Rosenberg and me is that uh, I can talk about him forever. So in order for this not to be three hours, I've basically written down a little bit of what I'm going to say. So if it sounds like I'm reading, it might be because I am. <laughs> but basically, to give you a little bit of the background story to Marcus Rosenberg, which I think is quite interesting for, for later when we talk about Brasing in particular. So this is Marcus Rosenberg's background story brought to you by Alex. <laughs> basically, he started out, as you said, in the, in the mom youth. The academy and he actually started playing for Malmö FF when he was only five years old went through all the youth teams and basically he himself says that he grew up at the stadium area um, he made his debut for Malmö already when he was 18 but he never really broke through into the first team of Malmö and he had a few seasons where he, he barely played for the first team so in 2004 when he was 22 the club decided to loan him out to a team battling relegation uh, was basically the idea uh, which was the Halmstad what ended up being an incredible season for Halmstad where Marcus Rosenberg became the top scorer of the Swedish league and on the very last match day, Malmö stole the gold from Halmstad, who had the gold in their hands. So Marcus Rosenberg almost took the league title from Malmö, who'd been waiting for 16 years when they decided to loan him out. Uh, so from that, he came back to Malmö, but he had already made such a splash, so he only stayed for half a season, and then he signed for, for Ajax. Uh, he went to Ajax, he did quite well in Ajax, especially his first year. Then he went to Verde Bremen, where it went even better. Um, and he had a really good time in total in Varde Bremen. And then from Varde Bremen, he went on loan to, to Racing Santander, 
uh, at a time where he wasn't playing a lot at Varde Bremen. So it was a very important time in his career as well. And then after, after coming back to Varde Bremen and then uh, leaving, he went to West Bromwich in the Premier League where it didn't go uh, as well. Uh, but the main reason to why he's reached a legendary status in Malmö, where many regard him as the best player in the club's history, uh, is because of the last six years. So in 2014, when he was 32, he returned back to Malmö. Um, and it was to a Malmö side that had just won the league title the previous season, but they weren't in a very good situation. The club was economically not in a, financially in a quite bad situation, actually. Um, and a lot of people say that that was a time where it was going to be defined what direction Malmö FF's future were heading, if it were heading uh, downwards or if they were actually going to, to go upwards, um, where Marcus Rosenberg and returning played a huge part. But the thing was, when he returned, there was no expectations on him, really. Like, the Malmö fans saw him as, this is an ex-player who played basically half a season in the first team here. Uh, he come up through the youth academy, he's, he's one of ours, we liked him coming back, but basically they expected him to come home, play a few half good seasons and then retired, um, and, and nothing more than that. But what happened was that he came home and he changed everything. So that same year, in 2014, Malmö reached the Champions League for the first time in club history, um, and since then they've been come at quite regular in Europe, they've been in the Champions League twice, they've advanced from the group stage of the Europa League twice, which is something they had never done before either. Uh, and anyone who follows the club or anyone who works in the club will tell you that nothing, completely nothing of this would have happened if it wasn't for Marcus Rosenberg. That's the key role, how big key role he's played. So when he came home, he brought with him the experience he got from playing in Europe and he changed the club on the pitch, but also off the pitch. He brought a different mentality to the team on the pitch and was very vocal on, uh, off the pitch in how things should improve and what they should think of, what they could do. He's also been perhaps the best captain that Malmö has ever had and been a mentor for a lot of players and every player in the team or every player who's played with him during the six years he's been back because it's changed from season to season, uh, just have good things to say and how important he's been for their careers. So in many ways, I would also say that Marcus Rosenberg has come to embody what Malmö is and stand for, which is why the fans love him so much. Um, and basically, he's also talking about the Swedish league. He's this cocky player who I would say is humble cocky in the sense that he will never say that I am the best, but he will always say that Malmö are the best and we're the best team in the league and things like that. And he's become, kind of became the player where everyone in Sweden, if you supported Malmö, you love him. If you supported any other team, you hated him. Um, and I think the reactions from people now when he's uh, decided to retire, he's shown the enormous respect people have for him, either if you're a Malmö fan or not, which says a lot about him. Uh, but anyway, uh, to just end this up with now the, the last couple of weeks when he's uh, gone into his retirement, there's been... I will again say what well, I think shows that he's perhaps the biggest player or one of, at least in modern history in, in Malmö FF, is that there's never been any football player in Malmö FF who's get, gotten quite the farewell that he's gotten. And if you haven't seen the TIFO that the Malmö fans did, we're probably going to put it on Mombasa with a, a few other stuff mm. that we're going to talk about on our Twitter account because uh, it's amazing. And then he topped it off with scoring in 96 minutes in his last home game. Um, to, to win against Kiev and then Malmö eventually winning the group in, in the Europa League. Uh, but what is interesting and why I went in so deep to what he's actually been doing for Malmö since he came back 
is because in an interview, one of the recent interviews he did now uh, while retiring, he said something because he's, he hasn't really talked a lot about Brazing Santander and his time there because he's never really asked about it because he was there so short. But this was an interview where they went through every single step of his career. And when talking about Racing Santander, he said something that stood out for me, and it was that there is no period or there's no club or time in my career that's been more important uh, than the time at Racing Santander in order for me to do what I was able to do when I came back to Malmethet. And what he meant with that was that at Verde Bremen or at Ajax, he played quite a lot and he did really well, but he was never the front figure. He was never mm -hmm. the one who had all the responsibility on his shoulders. He was never the one who was expected to score all the goals, who was expected to be the one uh, driving the team. And when he come to, came to Racing Santander, he was put in that type of role where he was always a starter. He was the one who was supposed to, to score the goals. He got the pressure from the fans in that sense. He got the pressure from the club. And that was the first time he had that type of role. And by having that pressure, which is also, which I think we're going to get into at, at Razing, especially at this time, was quite big. Uh, so when he came back to Malmö, he was already prepared for taking that type of role, which actually no one at Malmö expected him to, to even go and take and become this legendary player at, at Malmö. And I find it quite interesting that he himself says that that comes a little bit from his time at Racing Santander. Hmm. Well, that's interesting, like just hearing you say all that makes me realise just how much overlap there is between these two guys. Aside from what we've already mentioned, there's also the Ajax factor, but also the way their times at Ajax went, where I think they both feel like they grew as players, but they don't necessarily feel like they had the chance to play their best football there. Uh, and then, as I mentioned before, the fact that in, in some instances when they've gone abroad, it's been more of a challenge than they perhaps expected. Um, an interesting thing, actually, that I was looking back on with Kennedy when he was at Ajax is that he was in an Ajax team that ended up contributing quite a few players to La Liga, aside from him. So he briefly overlapped with Wesley Schneider, who would end up at Real Madrid. He also briefly overlapped with Klasian Huntelaar, who would be at Real Madrid for a very short period of time. And then also Luis Suarez. So that was at that time when Suarez was first breaking through in Europe and people were starting to look, look at him and take notice of him. So there was already quite a clear link to people who would go on to do really well in Spanish football. And I think there are a lot of, th a lot of things throughout these two guys' careers that even though they, they played a large chunk of their career in Sweden, it's very much a choice on both of their behalves and that they had more than enough talent to have been playing at a higher level for longer. And you can see that with how they, they did in their, some of their spells abroad, not least when they were in Spain. So, And then I guess that's like a natural time to, to explain roughly how, how Kennedy ends up going to wrestling. So he joins them in the summer of 2010. And a little bit like you, I've been looking back on and what he said about it. And I think that despite matters off the pitch not being ideal at wrestling, especially towards the, the end for him, he seems to consider it a really happy time in his career. And he, like one of the interviews I was listening to, he just described it as magical. And he was talking in depth about playing against Lionel Messi for wrestling and what that was like. And I'll, I'll go on to speak about that later. But you can tell that he really, like Rosenberg, he really values that as an important step in his career that gave him something that to him he'll always look back on with pride. And that's really cool to see that because there aren't many Swedes that get a chance to go and play in La Liga, but not just La Liga. For me, at that time, that 2010-2011 time, that's the best La Liga has been. You know, this is a time 100%. when you got Guardiola's Barca, you got Mourinho's uh, Real Madrid, you've got a really good Valencia side under Unai Emery, you've got a still very good Atletico Madrid side that would eventually be improved by Diego Simeone, but was, was performing well quite often. So 
if you take that into account, for these guys to come from this little country and to perform and, and to score goals and do well at that level, it's a huge achievement, really. Yeah, when uh, when Rosenberg as well, when he talks about Racing Santander from now at least uh, the last couple of days when he's looking back at his career, he has talked about it as a fantastic time um, and something, something incredible, uh, which is also interesting because as we were going to go through pretty soon, it wasn't just fantastic for them at Racing Santander. It's uh, quite a difficult time or where difficulties started for Racing Santander, who's at the moment playing in second division, which is the first year they are playing in the second division for quite a few years, having been in the Segunda B for quite a while. Um, so a lot of things started to go really bad for the club. But I also think it uh, has to be pointed out is that the, the city they got to live in when they were playing for Racing Santander is Santander which is one of the few cities I haven't been to in Spain yet, but one of the ones I really, really want to go to because it's, from, from what I've seen, from what I've yeah. heard of it, it's incredible and it's so, so beautiful. Yeah, it's a university city, I think, and a lot of people speak quite fondly of it. It's a little bit, the impression I get when I hear people talking about Santander is a little bit like when they talk about Oviedo as being one of these kind of hidden gems of Spain that, you know, once upon a time had this sort of really established top flight team there and it was, you know, everyone in the city was behind them. Um, and now it's sort of maybe passed under the radar a little bit because they've not had that same profile uh, when La Liga's become this sort of huge global thing. Racing were there a little bit longer, but even still, I think at that time, it was only really the tip of the iceberg with the international coverage of La Liga, which is why I would imagine that most people won't have seen most of the matches that, that Kennedy and Rosenberg were involved in when they were there. Um, but I think, yeah, so it's worth looking back on what they, they did individually when they were there. Kennedy was there for a season later, but I th it's best to focus on his first season. And we'll talk briefly about his second one, but his first one's really the more definitive one for his time there. Yeah, so both of them came there in, in 2010 and 11. Um, and yeah, let's talk about them personally and, and what they did there. But let's also talk a little bit about the club um, mm. and what happened with the club during that season, because that's quite interesting and, uh, as well. It, without being patronising, because I don't mean to do this, I think with the benefit of hindsight that the expectations on Racing from their fans at that time were perhaps a little bit higher than they should have been relative to the quality they had. If you Yeah, but I, mean. I, I think we can take this directly then. Because uh, I think as well, it is because what was happening around the club. So during, I don't, I think it was in the middle of the, in January or something, Ashan Ali Said uh, bought a club, an Indian businessman, and basically started this thing that Racing Santander was going to become the new Real Madrid. Mm. Uh, was like the, 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 what they were working under, the name basically, uh, and the idea. So I think that the club and their ambitions and what they wanted to try to do and with the money that they were saying they were getting in, uh, I think that a lot of fans were probably a bit blindsided by that and expected that we are a mm. team that are supposed to go up and compete with Barcelona and Real Madrid, which when that is not at all where, where this team no. or this club was even close to getting to. Yeah, and I think with perspective, so at that time, we have to understand they're an established side in La Liga. Almost every season for the last 20 years at that point, they've been in the top flight. So they've been fairly consistent and then they go on to end the season in a pretty good position actually when they would have been expecting in the beginning to be sort of fighting a relegation battle. They probably end that a little bit quicker than they would have thought to and their final table position is pretty good. Um, from Kennedy's point of view, he did really well individually that level and was quite an important player to, to them finishing where they did. So he plays 32 games and then in the league he gets six goals and assists four. 
Um, and what I found quite fascinating looking back, because I didn't really pay much attention to this at the time, is that he scored and assisted against some really big teams. I mean, in the games that he managed to deliver in, if you look at it, it's pretty impressive. So he scores against Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid. He scores a free kick against Kiki Sanchez Flores Atleti, who'd end up Europa League champions, I think, that season, or was it the season before? But either way, they were a good side. Um, he gets an assist against Dunay Emery's Valencia. He gets an assist against the Sevilla team that's got Rakitic, Gary Medel, Alvaro Negredo, Jesus Navas. That shows you how high a level he was performing at. And this is a guy who the fans, from what I could tell, had really no expectation of. They're like, who's this guy? Who's this sort of semi-bald looking is he even a professional footballer? I don't really know what to expect from him. But then he finishes the season in terms of combined goals and assists as Racing's top player. So he's involved in 11 goals in total, with seven scored, four assisted. And I think the impression I got anyway is that he was generally recognized as their best player along with Gio Dos Santos, who was quite uh, popular there. And I was looking at some of the, the quotes from the fans as well. And from the start of the season where they're kind of like, Oh, who's this guy? Like this semi-bald dude. I don't really know what to make of him. Does anyone get any idea? Like at the end, they're like, he's like the closest thing to a football player we've got on our squad. I'm thinking of getting Kennedy 16 tattooed on my back. <laughs> it's like he's been at Racing for 10 years. So I think it's safe to say that on an individual level as well as the club level, he had a successful first year there, and he'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, and so Marcus Rosenberg, I think the expectations on him was a bit different when he came mm. from from what I've been reading. Um, he bas- it was basically he was going to be their their goal scorer. He came from Werder de Bremen, had uh, a few seasons that was quite well uh, behind him at the, at Werder de Bremen, where he had scored quite a lot of goals. So I think they they expected someone to come in and and just score tons and tons of goals, mm. um, and then you have to like keep in mind that it's not very easy to come to a league like La Liga when you've never played in any league that is that similar. I think the most similar I think Rosenberg had been was at Ajax um, uh, of anything to, to La Liga and it's very different football. Um, and that's also when he talks about his time there as well. He talks about how, how much he learned in terms of the technical type of football, which he, he hadn't really played before um, and could add to his game. Uh, so it took, I think he, he scored three goals quite early, but more than that, it took quite time for him to, to get into it, um, where the fans started to get quite annoyed with him. Um, and you can see that the, in, when you read old forums and stuff, that they were not very, very happy uh, with Marcus Rosenberg. And I think that was the main difference with him and Kennedy, especially at the start, was just that they had so big expectations of Marcus Rosenberg and, and then he, he wasn't scoring goals. But then as longer you get into this forum, you can see that, oh, yesterday, I think he was actually really good. And then, <laughs> and then you're saying, yeah, yesterday he was good. Um, and then you get to a point where they are still quite negative, but people are saying, well, you can actually see that he knows how to play football, which not a lot of our mm-hmm. players doesn't know how to play football. <laughs> he, just can't, he just can't find the goal, basically. Um, uh, but in the end, he ends the season scoring nine goals, which playing for a team like Racing Santander in La Liga, and again, as you said, the, the 2010-11 La Liga, which was probably one of the best La Liga seasons there ever been, and, and you score nine goals your first season is, is pretty good. I think his first goal was at Bernabeu against Real Madrid. Um, maybe not the most beautiful goal he's ever scored, but, but still. Um, he also scored against Atletico, Atletico Madrid, both Two, both him and Kennedy scored in, in that uh, game against Atletico, which I think 
uh, was a game that mathematically saved Resin Santander for, for the next season to stay in La Liga. Um, and yeah, scored quite good for, for a first season. Um, I think he proved some, some of the fans over after that, but uh, he's still, I, I think Kennedy somehow, especially from the first season, is still remembered a little bit better than, than Rosenberg. Um, I also saw, I think it was somewhere in the mid that season, um, uh, from a newspaper where they had like asked fans to, to find out who was the most popular players of the team, where Kennedy was uh, was the second most popular and Rosenberg was like the, the third least popular mm. uh, of all. So that's as, as well some, but I think it, it changed a little bit the longer the season went and, and especially at the end. But I think in general, the expectations on him from the start were too high, which made he could never really keep up to what the fans expected from him from one season. Um, and then he decided to, to not continue. I think Racing Santander wanted him to stay. Uh, he didn't. Uh, and he went back to Bremen. So I think there's also, he would he didn't say this at the time, but I wonder also, which we'll get to now, when I'll explain kind of what happens in Kennedy's second season, but mm-hmm. there's a financial issue there as well. And I know that Rosenberg is still having problems getting what he was owed there. So you wonder if at that time he's already thinking, oh, okay, this does not look good. I think so, because I can also just uh, point out one, one quote uh, I found from him from a few years back talking about this with the economical situation and, and not being paid everything. So the, the president I talked a little, or not president, the, the businessman I talked a little bit before who came in in 2011 was going to do Racing Santander to the new Real Madrid. Um, <laughs> so basically this is what Rosenberg had to say about him. He was a complete clown, such a comedy that you would have needed to experience it to believe it. E- even thought Racing would become the new Real Madrid. Didn't really turn out that way. Uh, yeah, actually, I found a really, on the subject of quotes, I found a really nice quote from Kennedy about Rosenberg playing there, um, which I think sums up a little bit of his time quite well. And there's two things about it. The first thing he said is that he was asked, like, did you and him sort of bond particularly? And, and he was like, no, we were just both focused on winning, which I think says a lot about the, the mentality yeah. of both of those guys. Uh, but he, he did say, he was like, we had a lot of fun together. He was an incredible player. He could have scored 22 goals. He created that many chances. So I think the thing about Rosenberg is he's not just a player who's like missing chances. He was a guy who's creating chances for himself mm-hmm. as well. And that's coming from another guy who knows how to recognize talent. So... Even if it didn't always go in the net, I think he did a lot. And again, they did that in that first season, despite behind the scenes not ideal uh, situation unfolding, as that became clear, I think, the further the year went on. And then in the second season, when by this point Rosenberg's left, his loan's over, uh, what happens with Kennedy there is quite interesting because at the time that he, there was a lot of uh, rumours, I think, about him not having the best attitude in training amongst the sort of journalists in Santander or whatever, but... Now, in hindsight, when you learn what was happening, I think you probably realise what was going on. So he wasn't being paid, basically. I think in the end, they owed him something like €330,000 in wages by the time he left. Um, And his second season, he had a recurring Achilles problem that kept him out for most of the campaign. And then there was all these things in the background about, you know, like, is is his head really in it? Is his heart really in it? And to be honest, maybe it wasn't. If I wasn't being paid, if I was owed that much money, having just done a really important job to try and keep a club in La Liga and keep them in comfortably, I'd probably be pretty annoyed, to to be fair. So I wouldn't be surprised. Um, And then what happens, I didn't realize this at the time, but at the end of his second season, he actually had the chance to stay in La Liga. He had an offer from Sporting Gijón, 
and I can only imagine that there might be some connection there with, with Marcelino, who used to manage him at Racing. Maybe he put in a good word for him at Sporting because Marcelino has good uh, connections with Sporting, as everyone knows. Um, but instead, he decides to go back to Hammerby, who at that point are in the second division. Again, this is like a huge thing for a player who's been playing at that level to go and do that. But he promised that he would always go back to Hammerby, and especially when they were having some trouble in the second tier and they needed to get back up, and he, he kept to his word. So he went and did that, he brought them back up, and the rest is history. That If he wasn't already a Hammerby legend, he, he ensured that he would be by doing that. And it's safe to say, I think, that they would never be at the level they're at now, which is challenging for Swedish titles, a chance to play in Europe again, if it wasn't for him coming back and really giving them a lift at a really difficult moment for them. Um, and then before I sort of finish up on his time in La Liga, I wanted to read a couple of quotes, which I thought were really cool. So he was asked on one of the Swedish, big Swedish podcasts here, Studio Alsvenska, it's like a Swedish league podcast, who the best player he's played against is. And then his reply, <laughs> I mean, he almost just laughs. He's like, well, if you've played in La Liga, yeah, this is what he says. He says, Messi, is this guy human? Sorry, but there'll never be anyone like Messi. Sorry, guys, but there'll just never be anyone like him. We went to play Barca away as Racing. We set up in a 4-5-1. Two minutes in, they score. Who was it? Messi. You can't stop this Messi guy. You can't stop him. There were four or five of us around him and we couldn't. It's just magic. I love Cristiano. He's brilliant. But comparing Messi and Ronaldo, pff, Messi can take the ball and beat six or seven people and then score. Ronaldo's really good in the box. Better than Messi there, maybe, but Messi, man. In the end, when you're on the pitch with him, you just have to laugh to yourself. He's magical. Part of you feels like just lying down and saying, all right, do your thing. <laughs> you try to stop him, but of course you can't in the end. So I think, yeah, he, he has fond memories of La Liga and there's, there's really no doubt in his head who, who the big daddy was in Spanish football at that moment, if there was any doubt for anyone else. Brilliant. I also think uh, that we need to, to mention that during their time at, at Racing Santander, there was so many different coaches as well, which mm. makes it really difficult. So for during the two seasons, if we take both of the seasons that where Kennedy was there, there was six different coaches <laughs> during two seasons. Uh, I think during the one they were there together, there were two or three different yeah. coaches. Um, so, so just that, and I know Rosenberg said that as well, that was, he, like when he talks about that time, it was brilliant, it was amazing to get to play in La Liga and that he has so many good memories, but it was also really difficult yeah. uh, at Racing Santander and having so many, you have new coach all, all the time um, and all of, of those kind of things. And I think for him, leaving Racing Santander, as you say, I, I don't think it was a too difficult decision. He seemed pretty, uh, pretty easy for him to take it because of the situation that, that was in the club. Mm. Um, and he also said uh, at some, uh, at a later point that the experience there made him not really want to go back to, to, to play in Spain or, or, or countries like that because he didn't think when he went to Racing, especially because he went on a loan deal, that this kind of thing could even happen. It's La Liga, it's the biggest league in the world. Um, and, and basically to, to still, to this day, so this was in 2010-11, we're now in 2019 and he's still fighting to get paid um, for, and he says it's, it's about millions, it's not just small potatoes it's it's quite a lot of money that he hasn't got paid Kennedy has gotten all of his back now I think uh, Rosenberg said that it was probably easier for him because he was on uh, on a contract he was bought by by Racing Santander so he could get help from the league while Rosenberg was on a loan deal which makes everything apparently much much more complicated um, so, so that is uh, like the sad part of this in one way it kind of saddens me that it was Racing Santander that they went to the two of them, because imagine if they had played in a club that actually worked, 
yeah. with, uh, where, with the behind the scenes we're actually working. It would be, be quite interesting to see these two in La Liga and what they could have done if they could have been there for a longer time. Because I think both of them pr would probably stay, stay longer if this would not have been the case. Well, yeah, I think there's some, some useful context there. So this is right in the middle of a period where tons of um, tons of smaller, more modest sides in La Liga are having big financial problems at this time. It's after the financial crisis has really started to deepen in Spain. Clubs owe loads of money to the tax, man. Racing actually end up, they go bankrupt, basically. So they, they've been a La Liga regular, as I said, since the 90s. And like a household name, not just at home, but abroad. I remember growing up in the UK, I always knew who Racing were. They were always on TV. Um, but then after Kennedy's second season there, they get relegated and then they get relegated again to the third division the year later. And they pretty much bounce around there for a long time until this year when they're finally back in the Segunda. But on the subject of money, essentially from what I understand is the reason Kennedy got his money back is because, because he was signed there as like a permanent player. He was part of the union in Spain. There's, a, there's another players' union in Spain. And they did this deal eventually to do with TV rights and stuff where players who are owed money got their money back. So that's why Rosenberg, and I think, I mean, I was saying to you like a couple of weeks ago, I think he's now talking about hiring a new lawyer just to try and yeah. get it because he's almost given up on it. But come on, the guy's owed, the guy's owed a lot of money. He deserves it. <laughs> yeah, he said on a, on a podcast he was on now when they were going through his entire career, career and stuff uh, as he's retiring, he said that he's just started a new process about it because uh, before, before I think he, he got help from Spain or he did it via FIFA, I think, at some point as well. Um, and he said, like, this time I'm just going to do it on my own because that's the only, only way you get anything done. Uh, so I guess he, he's got yeah. to experience, like, people say they're doing stuff and no one is actually caring about it. Uh, so now he, he's got his own lawyer and he's, he's going to try to, to get his money on his own because no one is basically doing yeah. it. So a couple of closing points. I think one thing we should do is literally just describe how these two guys end their career. So, so literally the closing moments of their careers, because for me, it kind of sums up their iconic status, if you like. So the one that stands out with Kennedy is his last goal for Hammerby. And I think it's his only goal that season, which last season, uh, sorry, two years ago, actually, because we're calendar year seasons in Sweden. Uh, it's in October 2018 against EF Koya Tabori and honestly, and I'm not saying this because I'm biased, and I think, to be fair, most people would acknowledge he's an excellent free kick taker. It's a ridiculously good free kick. I mean, it's top banger from miles out, right in the corner, impossible to save. And then what kind of made this viral outside of Sweden is that he runs to the fans, grabs a beer at someone's hand, drinks it, and then jumps into the crowd. And I think that sums up everything about this guy's connection with the, the supporters around him. And that's a theme that continues with Rosenberry and his final moments, right? Yeah, so Rosenberry's final moment at home because he actually played one more game away against Copenhagen where Malmö won the group um, and became the Scandinavian. Mm. Yep. <laughs> no, so his last moment at home for, for Malmö. At first, he had this incredible uh, TIFO and everything that I talked about before. And he actually went out to the pitch trying as hard as he could not to look at it because he was afraid he would just lose it. And then he says that he accidentally saw a bit of it and he completely lost it. Um, <laughs> and he didn't see the rest of it. Uh, so then the, during the first half of that game, he's actually horrible, completely horrible, uh, to the point where the commentator says, so it is his last game, so you cannot sub him. Otherwise, you would substitute him, but you mm. can't because this is his last game at home. Um, and is Kiev was playing incredibly well. So this is an Europa League group stage game, the the sec the last one at home uh, for Mama, and they're only playing in Europe because of Rosenberg. So he would have ended his career a lot earlier otherwise. Um, and 
I think uh, Malmö did a goal really early, but then, then Kiev just turned it around. They were 2-1 up, I think, at halftime. Rosenberg comes out in the second half uh, and he scores 2-2 and people go crazy because he's scoring in his last game at the Malmö Stadium. You can't, at this point, you think you can't write these things, but you can apparently do it even better than that. Um, so it's 2-2 and then I think Malmö makes it 3-2, Kiev makes it 3-3. And the Malmö needs the, the win. They actually need two goals, um, but they end up getting one. So it's the extra minutes. We are at 90 minutes and they get six extra minutes, uh, added minutes to it. In the 95th minute, Marcus Rosenberg comes and gets this cross from Joinge Barrier. And he just pushes in perfectly, on, I think almost on volley. I don't remember actually because mm, I, th- I don't know crazy. if it bounces, but it's, it's yeah, in the area. Yeah, it's 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 a very beautiful goal as well. Yeah. And then he is, he doesn't stop. He has continue. He's like running, hits the ball, continue running, jump over uh, the the adverts, and is into the to the fans, the the ultras who are standing behind the goal, and people are going crazy. So that actually also, which I didn't notice at the time until someone pointed out later, was that Edda Rakip followed him, but Edda Rakip just you don't see him because he disappears. <laughs> he's somewhere. It's like he fell into a black hole. No one knows where he went. Because there's coming people is jump out from the st- from from the stands to run and like so it's like from both um, both ways around him. He's just like and just uh, people all around him and there's these incredible photos that are taking afterwards and every single photo it's like he's photogenic or something because he's like a perfect photo of somebody like screaming. And you have one photo which I love, where there's a fan who's kissing his head, uh, basically. <laughs> uh, and it, it's insane. And that's how he, that's his last time he kicks a football at the, the Mama Stadium, which is also located on the very same spot where he played for the first time on a gravel pitch when he was five years old and started out in the Mama youth teams, which is... You, you can't end it in a better way. You can't script it like that. But yeah, I mean, a, a perfect ending, two perfect endings for, for two perfect players, really, I think most supporters of the clubs would say, at least for what they gave to them. And two guys who gave a lot to La Liga. And hopefully, my hope is that maybe one day we can sit down and speak to both of them about their time in Spain, because I have a funny feeling there's some pretty good stories to tell. And now that they're retired, they might be able to tell them. So <laughs> let's see. Um, we, we'll have to try at least. But seeing as this is going to be the last one before the uh, the, the winter break, I guess, uh, and of the new year, I, th- I thought I could give you some, some Christmas trivia. Not remotely Christmas themed, but more 2010-11 La Liga themed and 2010-11 La Liga Swedes themed, right? So I figured out that if you treat Kennedy as a forward, which you could consider him a midfielder, you could consider him a forward, but at this period in his career, he's playing on the right wing. So he's more of a forward. Uh, And that season, there were four Swedish forwards playing in Spanish football at some point. So you got Rosenberg, you got Kennedy, you got Henrik Goitom, who was playing for Almeria. And then Zlatan Ibrahimovic made an appearance in the Spanish Super Cup in the like the start of autumn late late summer early autumn and he scores as well for barca i think it's his last game for barca against sevilla so there's four of them there at some point which is quite like remarkable really to think about a country of sweden's size especially at that time producing four players good enough to go and play in again what i consider to be the greatest time period of spanish football full stop it's a pretty big achievement um and, and another another trivia on that is that Slatan and Marcus Rosenberg played in the same youth team 
uh, at least for uh, a year or so, because Slatan is one year y- uh, older than, than Rosenberg. Mm. Uh, but at Malmö, they, they played at least uh, back and forth one season at the same youth team. Mm. And uh, a few years later, when Rosenberg was first taken out to the Swedish national team uh, as a forward, Slatan was a bit surprised when they asked him about it because he said, I only remember this guy as a 15-year-old, and when he was 15, he was a right-back. <laughs> He's not supposed to be, 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 be playing next to me. He's not supposed to be... Because uh, Rosenberg was a defender throughout his youth team's days until he was 16. Definitely uh, wasted awesome. there, I think, considering his talent. Yep. Um, and then the other thing was, like, me and you have already talked about this a while back, but... Uh, we came so, so close that season to having three Swedish players on the pitch at the same time in La Liga, but we missed it by like the narrowest of windows. So so Kennedy and Henrik Goitom were on the pitch together at the same time really, really briefly. I think Goitom comes on as a substitute, like literally with about five minutes to go when Racing beat Almeria 1-0 uh, in October 2010. But Rosenberg was actually in the starting lineup that day. He'd been subbed off by that point. So it was, it was so, so close to having three. And that, I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'm... 99.9% sure that would have been the highest number of Swedes on a La Liga pitch at the same time in one game. But so it is, we had to go with uh, with two. And I think that was only repeated like this season, right? When Gadetti was on the pitch at the same time as Isaac. It must have been. Yeah, which was also impressive since Gadetti never plays. Yeah. So there you go. That is our wrap of what I consider to be the single greatest uh, season by a Hammerby and Malma icon in a club in the north of Spain of all time. Definitely, 100%. <laughs> There's no arguing against that. <laughs> there is none. Any any closing words for 2019, Alexandra Jonsson? Oh, for 2019. Well, uh, that was nice. Let's let 2020 be better. I was, yeah, my, my thoughts are it can't get any worse. No, let's uh, let, um, let our Scandies prevail and be even better in, in La Liga the coming year. Exactly. Until next year, I guess we should say Merry Christmas to everyone. Happy New Year. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. God Feliz Bjorn. Año Nuevo. Uh, bon Nadal. And uh, whatever it's called in the rest of Spain. <laughs> 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 There's too many dialects. <laughs> or. <laughs>